You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's start in Thousand Oaks, California. And I'm going to guess this case is probably going to divide our listeners, because at the very least, the sentence that Bryn Spetcher was handed down last week is controversial. In the spring of 2018, Bryn, who was an audiologist, had taken her beloved husky named Ara to the dog park. There, she met 26-year-old Chad O'Melia, who had his German shepherd Athena there. Chad was studying to take the exam to become a certified public accountant and was already working at the Camarillo accounting firm. The dogs and the humans hit it off, and the chance meeting led to the two casually dating for the next few weeks. With no big plans for the Memorial Day weekend, the two decided to hang out at Chad's house that he shared with two male friends. So it's May 28th of 2018, and Bryn brings her dog with her to Chad's house. After chatting with Chad's roommate, the two begin smoking marijuana on the back patio. Chad's two roommates are at home, and weed is legal in California. So they're taking all the right precautions here, at least on the surface. They're in the safety of Chad's home. No one needs to drive anywhere. Bryn has stayed the night there before, so it's not an unusual evening. But after the third hit off Chad's bong, Bryn loses control. She seems to enter a delusional state, and she later tells authorities that she was full of rage and felt that she needed to prevent herself from dying. That's when she grabs knives from the kitchen and plunges one of those knives into Chad's chest. She begins to repeatedly stab Chad, who is struggling to maintain consciousness. She's stabbing him in the chest, in the throat, his knee, the back of his head. The roommates who were upstairs could hear items crashing to the floor and raised voices by Bryn and Chad. As they run downstairs, Chad sputters out the phrase, call the police, I've been stabbed. He then told his friends to get out of the condo. 
When police arrived at the bloody scene, body cam footage shows Bryn kneeling over Chad's dead body. She's covered in blood and she's holding an eight-inch serrated knife in her hand. Bryn doesn't follow police commands. She's sawing away at her own neck. Police tase her multiple times, yet she doesn't stop attacking herself. They then begin hitting her with a baton. After nine blows, they were able to knock the knife out of her hand and subdue the manic woman. They rush her to the hospital and left behind is Chad, who has been stabbed 108 times. And Bryn also turned the knife on her beloved Siberian Husky. Now this was 2018. And for the next five plus years, motion after motion was filed in the murder charge against Bryn. She recovered fairly quickly in the hospital following surgery on her broken wrist, although she does have physical scars from her self-inflicted attack. Chad's dad, Sean, has spent those five years so incredibly frustrated. He told KHTS that every time they go to court, that the defense asks for 60 more days, then 60 more days, and then 60 more days after that. And each time the request is granted. He said that he can easily tell you how many continuances they have experienced by just dividing 60 into five and a half years. He also told KHTS that he was ambushed last year by the most case-altering motion that was filed over those five and a half years. It all happened last September, just weeks before Bryn was supposed to finally face murder charges for stabbing Chad 108 times. The Ventura County District Attorney's Office filed a motion. Okay, you heard that right. It wasn't the defense. The prosecution filed a motion to reduce the charges against Bryn from second-degree murder to involuntary manslaughter. Now, of course, Sean, Chad's dad, said he felt the change of charges was the prosecution admitting that they were scared they would potentially lose the looming trial. In fact, he said he felt the Ventura County District Attorney's Office was acting out of fear. But they had to have a reason to pivot on the charges last September. And they did. Both the state and the defense were examining the scientific expert's report that said Bryn was in a state of psychosis when she killed Chad. The expert said that Bryn, after taking that third hit from the bong, believed that she was dead and that the only way she could bring herself back to life was to kill Chad. In her 37-page report, the expert said that the many interviews that had been conducted with Bryn, who, by the way, admitted she stabbed Chad, and also the interviews with the roommates who witnessed her behavior and then piled on with the police cam footage and her behavior as she recovered in the hospital, all of that, along with other evidence, led the expert to say, She wasn't in control of herself that night. And both the state and the defense agreed. So with much controversy, the charges were lowered. Now, if I was a betting woman, I would have thought the changes in charges would have slowed down the case, but it didn't. They went ahead and started the trial the second week of November last year with the agreement that Bryn experienced psychosis that night. And it seemed the actual disagreement between the prosecution and the defense was whether Bryn willingly took that third hit off the bong. 
So the question is, did Chad force her to ingest the drugs? Well, the state painted Bryn as a callous, narcissistic party girl who wasn't really invested in developing a relationship with Chad. She just wanted to get high that night. Well, the defense said the exact opposite, that she was responsible and that she didn't dabble in drugs and she had no idea that marijuana would cause a reaction in her like the psychosis that she experienced. So here's how California law works. If she willingly took the drug, she is responsible for her actions, even if it does turn into psychosis. But if she took that third hit under force or duress or fraud or trickery, she is now not responsible for the psychosis. Well, the defense ran with that. Bryn's attorneys argued that Chad was using pressure to get Bryn to take a third hit, which was far more than any amount of drugs she had done before. The attorney also said that Bryn was intimidated by Chad, and that is why she took the third hit when he shoved the device in front of her face. During the trial, it was discovered that no other drugs were found in the condo. So if you were asking if this was some kind of a party house, there's your potential answer. And if you're asking the question about testing of the bong, well, all of that testing was inconclusive. Tests couldn't determine if the marijuana had a massive amount of THC that might possibly make Bryn experience psychosis. But Bryn's attorneys argued that the marijuana was most likely ordered from an unlicensed delivery service. The strain of marijuana is called OG Kush, and the THC content is 31.8%, which, according to the Ventura County Star, is a relatively high amount. You guys, I have no idea. This is not my world. I'm just here to give you the update and tell you what everyone is saying. So here's what the defense is saying. Those attorneys said that on the ordering site, that OG Kush was meant for high tolerance patients only. All right, that unlicensed dealer is out of business now. And the defense lawyer argued that Bryn wouldn't have any idea what was in the bong or the potency of the marijuana that was in the bong. So that meant Chad had responsibility for the contents and they declared he forced her to inhale it. But the prosecutor argued that text messages between Bryn and her friends painted a different picture. In the months leading up to the murder, Bryn tells her friends via text that she missed work because she was hungover. She also told her friends that she regularly consumed edibles. The prosecutor also said that presenting Bryn as weak and easily persuaded into drug use was just not correct. The prosecutor said Bryn was a professional woman who had a doctorate degree and worked as an audiologist. She said Bryn's newfound fear of Chad was just a way for Bryn to save her own skin. She then boldly told the jury that anyone can point the finger at someone else and say, he made me do it. And she said Bryn was very good at blaming other people for her problems. Now, Bryn did testify in this case. She was actually the last witness called and she told the jury that on that night of May 2018, she began to hallucinate after smoking the weed. She said she felt pressured by Chad to smoke the weed that night because he regularly smoked weed. And she explained away the text messages between her and her friends saying 
she exaggerated the usage to look cool to her friends. She also said her work history shows that she was late only twice for work, once because she was hungover, and once when her car was broken into. Now, this next part of her testimony, I'm going to tell you this part just so you can have context. During her testimony, Bryn talked about growing up in Chicago and that she suffered from lung problems and hearing loss since birth. She told members of the jury she has worn hearing aids since she was four and that she also reads lips. She talked about feeling isolated and ashamed since she was the only child who had hearing aids in her grade. Some people felt this testimony might have swayed the judge to feel sorry for Bryn. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but there is that perception floating around and I felt like you needed to understand that. All right, during her testimony, Bryn went on to describe how she had taken one hit from the bong and she didn't really feel anything. So she said Chad took that as a challenge and he told her he wanted to make it more intense for her. She said once he had added more to the bong that he told her to hurry up and inhale. She said it happened so fast, she felt like she couldn't say no. According to Bryn, she retreated to the bathroom and threw up. And when she returned, she laid on the couch, and that is when the psychosis event began. After a few moments, she stood up, went to the kitchen, and grabbed two knives. According to her, she threw those knives at Chad. She then grabbed two more knives and used one to stab her dog. She said Chad yelled at her, and she stabbed him in the stomach. She said the stabbings continued, yet she doesn't remember actually committing them. She said she does remember this out-of-body experience where she was being told that she needed to kill Chad in order to save her life. She said she did remember the roommate coming down the stairs and yelling at her, and then he ran back up the stairs, presumably to retrieve his phone and call 911. She said the screaming encouraged her to scream more, and that is when she stabbed herself. She did admit in her testimony that no physical force was used by Chad. She also said she wasn't made aware that Chad had died to a puncture wound of his heart until more than one day later after that stabbing. Well, it took jurors less than four hours at the beginning of December to find Bryn guilty of involuntary manslaughter. When the verdict was read, Bryn dropped her head to the table and cried quietly. Then when the jurors confirmed their individual votes, Bryn sobbed loudly. And you guys know how it's different from state to state? Well, in this case in California, Bryn would be sentenced at a later date. But there was even another layer to this case. A separate hearing had to be held to address an enhancement charge. In California, if you use excessive force and great violence in the commission of a crime, then the judge can increase the amount of time that he determines will be sentenced. Well, all of that and the sentence was determined by the judge last week. And this is where I expect you guys to weigh in. Because despite the state recommending that Bryn serve at least four years in prison for the stabbing of Chad, Judge David Worley sentenced Bryn to two years probation and 100 hours of community service. And in that community service, she will be expected to educate others on the dangers of cannabis. Okay, as you can expect, Chad's father, Sean, is furious. 
Remember, he was already so bothered by the reduction of the charge from second-degree murder to involuntary manslaughter. And then his son's murderer is not even going to serve time behind bars. He told the media the following. Emotionally, the whole thing has been draining for me and my family. Obviously, the message that has been sent to the community at large is that it's okay to smoke marijuana and kill people in Ventura County. The judge has also sent a message that his constituents' lives aren't worth much. Well, the prosecutor's office agreed with Sean. They said the following. Like many, she had a bad experience with marijuana, and then she viciously slaughtered an innocent man who was sitting in his house expecting to have a nice night with his girlfriend. She carved him up. We recognized and took into consideration that she was under the influence, which is why we charged her with manslaughter. If she had driven under the influence of marijuana and killed someone, she would be in prison. The fact that this young, white, attractive, middle, upper-class woman gets to walk out when anyone else would get jail time is disappointing. All right, obviously those two groups are very upset. And here on Rise in Crime, we, we present all sides. So expectedly, Bryn's attorney is thrilled. He told reporters that Judge Worley had done the right thing and that the judge had imposed a sentence that was fair and accurately represented Bryn's conduct. Now, I'm sure you have tons of opinions on whether this was a fair judgment, but there's one more thing here. Ventura County prosecutors are now concerned about the precedent that was set here. Prosecutors said this sentencing was devastating for the family, but that the ripple effects will be felt in cases to come. They said that potential defense attorneys will use this case to justify the behavior of intoxicated criminals. All right, let's remember Chad. His father said he was motivated and driven and that he relished being everyone's friend. Family and friends noted that his laugh drew people to him. They also said that Chad's mother, who died just two years after Chad when she suffered a diabetic coma, well, they said she loved him endlessly. They claim her severe health issues stemmed from her broken heart when Chad was murdered. Chad's dad did say he takes solace that the jury got it right. He blames the judge for showing bias against him and his family. And let me tie up one more loose end here. Bryn's Siberian Husky did recover from the stabbing. But unfortunately, the dog died a few years back when she escaped Bryn's home and was hit by a car. All right, I'm a little speechless about this one because I can't even imagine what Chad's family is feeling today. And I'm also pretty conflicted about the precedent that has been set. Why don't you tell me what you think? All right, now to Denver, where a pastor and his wife have been charged with fraud after he pocketed $1.3 million in donations made to his cryptocurrency scheme. Eli Regalado and his wife, Caitlin, run an online-only congregation for the ministry called the Victorious Grace Church. All right, let me start out with how confused I am about this church. The YouTube channel has only 277 subscribers with limited videos in the playlist. And the Facebook page has even less with 133 followers, but more videos. And the website, victoriousgrace.org, that's listed on the Facebook page, well, it doesn't even exist. So who are Eli and Caitlin scamming because their amount of followers seems to be a little anemic? However, 
Obviously, they took somebody's money and they took a lot of it. Here's how it went. The two developed a cryptocurrency called Index Coin. And the kicker, they know nothing about cryptocurrency. And the coin itself is actually worthless. But Eli conned people into believing God wanted the followers to invest. He even invoked scripture to encourage his followers to pony up their dough. Here, just listen to about 45 seconds of one of his videos where he tells his followers to be like those following Christ in the scriptures. And then he says, invest in his made up cryptocurrency. This is John 6, verses 1 through 5, and it says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him. This is like a large crowd of everyone in index coin uh, globally now. We're in 177 different countries. Coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. So Jesus knew what he was intending to do. He was just using this as a way to test Philip. All right. When the pastor and his wife began living a lavish lifestyle, the Colorado Securities Commission started checking into their crypto plan. And that led to the CSC filing a lawsuit against the couple on January 17th. And since that filing, Eli, in a video to his investors and Facebook followers, has admitted to taking their money with no way to pay it back. He said that he and Caitlin launched the exchange Then the exchange failed, and things just went downhill from there. He said he is waiting on the Lord for a miracle. But while it was failing, the two spent the investors' money on a Range Rover, jewelry, luxury handbags, and a home remodel. But in videos to the investors, Eli tells them the funds from the cryptocurrency are going to help widows and orphans. All right, in that same video posted just a couple of days ago where Eli admits to stealing the money, he told investors that the charges are true. He said he and Caitlin did pocket $1.3 million and that out of that $1.3 million, half of the money went to the IRS and that a few hundred thousand went to a home remodel that the Lord told them to execute on their house. He then told investors that it is in God's hands and that they are praying for a miracle so that his valued investors can receive their money back. Well, currently all accounts of the Regalados have been frozen by a judge. So I guess no more buying of luxury handbags. And according to the Block publication, the comments on the admission video are mostly positive and supportive of the pastor and his wife, even though they're admitting they stole the money. One commenter even congratulated Eli on his bravery, saying God was leading all of them and that the Regalados will get their glory. For what I see on his Facebook page, there are 73 comments on that particular video, but only a handful are visible. So maybe Eli and his wife are hiding the negative comments? The Colorado Securities Commission said the following, We allege that Mr. Regalado took advantage of the trust and faith of his own Christian community and that he peddled outlandish promises of wealth to them when he sold them essentially worthless cryptocurrencies. 
And then the commission warned, new coins and new exchanges are easy to create with open source code. We want to remind consumers to be very skeptical. And should we just carry forward with this church theme and then also the stabbing theme? Except this time, it's Alabama, and the crime was committed in 1988. On March 18th of 1988, Pastor Charles Sennett called 911 because he said he had found his wife murdered in their Sheffield, Alabama home. When first responders arrived, they found Elizabeth Sennett nearly dead. It appeared she had been beaten with a fireplace implement and then stabbed. Evidence on Elizabeth's body indicated she had heroically fought her attacker. And evidence in the home also suggested to investigators that the home invasion appeared to be staged. The county sheriff recalled that when he arrived at the home with medical personnel, that Pastor Charles was confident that his wife was already dead and that she had been murdered by a thief. But the sheriff said when first responders found a faint pulse, that the pastor nearly fell over with disbelief. The beaten and stabbed woman was loaded into an ambulance and the sheriff was by her side and they transported her to the hospital. The sheriff was hoping that Elizabeth would be able to regain some sort of consciousness and say something about her murderer or murderers, but she didn't. And once they arrived at the hospital, an emergency room doctor declared her dead. All of the pastor's actions on that night had the sheriff's something isn't quite right here senses tingling. He had remembered that Charles had shown up at a crime scene a few weeks earlier and had said he wanted to see how a murder scene looked and how the investigators were doing their work. He was asked several times to leave that crime scene, yet he lingered. And then just a few days following the murder, an anonymous tip was called into Crime Stoppers and armed with the tipster's information, Pastor Charles was brought in for questioning. Of course, he denied knowing any information about his wife's death, but he did seem deeply bothered when investigators mentioned the name Kenneth Smith. After leaving the interrogation, Pastor Charles drove to his church and summoned his sons and their families to come talk with him. Once they were gathered, he admitted to his family that he was engaged in an affair with another woman and that he had also hired two men to kill their mother. Now, I can't even imagine how that conversation went. How do you casually bring that up? And then after unloading his burden onto the innocent family members, Pastor Charles walked out to the parking lot, got in his truck, and shot himself. Again, the sheriff rode in the ambulance, hoping this time Pastor Charles would talk. He didn't, and just like in his wife's death, he died shortly after arriving at the hospital. But the two men who did the beating of Elizabeth and the killing of Elizabeth, well, they started talking pretty quickly. Kenneth Smith and John Forrest Parker admitted they had been hired by Pastor Charles to kill his wife because... Pastor Charles was having an affair, and he was also in deep financial debt. They said the pastor was hoping to cash in on the life insurance policy. Now, I'm telling you this story because of what happened this week. Kenneth Smith was finally put to death in an Alabama prison for the capital murder of Elizabeth May, but it wasn't without controversy. After being found guilty of the murder, Smith appealed, and he won. 
but he was found guilty a second time. And despite a jury recommending that he receive life in prison, the judge overruled the recommendation and sentenced Smith to the death penalty. Now, he exhausted all of his appeals in 2022. On November 17th of 2022, executioners attempted to start an IV into Smith's arm in order to kill him with lethal injection. Well, that attempt failed. So they tried again and again. After multiple attempts, the execution was called off. Now, I think most of you are shocked that trained officials couldn't find a vein to conduct this execution. But you guys, it wasn't the first time this had happened. Two other lethal injections had gone awry in Alabama, and this led the governor to order a review of the process. Now, following that review, a new way of killing those sentenced to death row was instituted, and last week, Smith was the first prisoner to be killed by nitrogen gas. Okay, all of this went down last Thursday. When Smith was brought into the death chamber, he smiled at his wife and son who were there to witness his execution. He even gave a thumbs up and he mouthed to his wife that he loved her. Smith was allowed to give a statement before the gas was administered. He told the witnesses that on this day, Alabama was causing humanity to take a step backwards. He then said he was leaving with love, peace, and light. Now, I want to warn you guys that this next part is slightly graphic and obviously controversial, depending upon where you stand with the death penalty. After the gas was administered, Smith convulsed for two minutes on the gurney that he was strapped to before finally calming, and then he was pronounced dead a few short minutes later. Those who think this form of execution is inhumane Well, they highlighted the trauma that Smith experienced for those few minutes. And those who think it is a suitable way to administer a death penalty, well, they said that the convulsing was in part due to Smith holding his breath and willingly moving on the gurney. Smith's spiritual advisor told reporters following the execution that the eyes of the world are on this impending moral apocalypse. He asked that people do not turn away but instead understand the struggle for life that had occurred. Now, Alabama's attorney general, he had a different view. He said that justice had finally been served in the death of Elizabeth May, who he called an innocent and godly wife, a loving mother and grandmother, and a beloved member of her community. So if you're wondering about the other man that helped kill Elizabeth, Well, he died by natural causes in prison and was never forced to face lethal injection or even this new form of death with nitrogen gas. And like our first story today, tell me what you think. I know there's plenty of opinion out there about the death penalty and this new manner of execution used in Alabama. Well, that only adds an additional layer to the topic that divides so many. And finally, as a teaser... I'm watching the trial of Ethan Crumley's mother, Jennifer. It's happening right now. And a jury will be deciding if she is partially responsible for the Michigan school shooting that had her son, Ethan, killing four fellow students back in 2021. If you want to get caught up on that school shooting, you can listen to the Rise in Crime episode from December 11th of last year, where I tell the whole story and I explain Ethan's sentencing. 
I'll let you know as soon as Jennifer's trial is over and what verdict is actually reached. Her husband is going to face the same charges in a separate trial later this year. All right, you guys, that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. Really, you guys are wonderful. I have an amazing audience. Thanks for joining Oh No Media on this journey. And if you really like what you're hearing or particularly one case, please give Rise and Crime a like or a follow and a comment. You can also tell a friend. And the biggest help is please subscribe wherever you're listening. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules and keep safe out there.